Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I am joined by Suzanne Samarka. Suzanne has set up the campaign Honesty About Editing in order to help children and young people navigate social media to understand that edited pictures aren't real. Hello Suzanne, how are you doing today? Hello there, I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's lovely. I feel like, I think this is our third attempt. So third time lucky, we are here. Finally, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The stars have aligned, third time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it, it looks a bit miserable outside as well. So I think we picked a good day to be doing it. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you because I think the topic that we're talking about today with regards to images on social media and editing, I think it's a big thing that's come about quite recently. And you know, I've been noticing myself kind of recognising when photos are edited and it, it's kind of taken me aback because I'm like, how is that? edited that looks so real so I guess what I wanted to firstly start with is if you could tell us what your campaign is all about yeah absolutely so I've started a campaign which is known as hashtag honesty about editing Uh, and the reason that I've done that is to in in a nutshell is to protect young people's mental health from A number of things, so eating disorders, poor body image, low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, loneliness, there's a whole heap of things that it covers. And that's mainly because I think as an adult, I've realised how far technology has come, but Mm. actually I find it really difficult to understand what is real and what isn't real, what you see online. And I wasn't born into a world of social media. So I think for young people, it's a really important time, firstly, and these challenges last a lifetime. You know, they don't they don't get fixed overnight. They can creep on overnight, but they certainly don't get fixed overnight. And I think for me, whilst it does affect all of us, I think my focus is on younger people because that's when I built my confidence and my resilience. Um, I certainly didn't build it in my later years. So I kind of think that that needs to be a really important time. And as a parent and auntie, member of society, I think it's something that actually I need to take some responsibility for. And I think it's really interesting what you just said about that sort of age, 
because I think you're so right like I'm, I'm 24 and I feel like I'm kind of coming out of that phase of trying to do stuff to impress everybody else and I'm now in the phase of like doing things because I want to do it and like and doing things I enjoy but in that those younger years like you're just so susceptible to seeing things on social media or the tv or whatever and thinking that's what I have to be in order for people to like me in order to be successful there's nothing yeah. about like originality and actually just being who you want to be and I, I don't just mean that in terms of body image I mean that in terms of like every aspect of your life yeah absolutely I completely agree I mean I'm 33 now and um, I think in the past 12 months more so than ever it's kind yeah. of come to this point and made me realize that I don't I don't need to walk into a room and like everybody or everybody in the room like me yeah that's that's not my priority anymore um whereas I think growing up that was um you you get to know what your fears is the wrong word but anxiety is almost as a a young person that you don't necessarily know is an anxiety at the time so it's kind of taken to get into this age to realize what I find important and what I deem important in in my world Mm -hmm. and and therefore focusing on that rather than focusing on what other people think or do or uh, what people perceive to be the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, it goes back to those, I think always think about my school days in terms of, you know, I was always trying to be friends with everybody or always trying to be friends with the quote unquote cool kids. And I think it was only kind of when I went to uni and, you know, you meet so many people there and I I almost realised like, wow, I've been trying to fit this mould for so long. And now I found people that like genuinely are like me and I don't speak to I speak to, I think, three people from school, but they're like really, really close friends. But so many people from uni I've stayed in contact with because I don't feel like I have to change myself kind of to be around them. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a real a real learning point. And I think that's why for me, the campaign in terms of young people is so important because you do only realise that when you come out of that yeah young people category if you Mm -hmm. like um is not something that you can ever see happening and that's why so many parents and so many carers have that conversation whereas Mm. it might be don't worry about it now in five years time it won't matter and the young person might think you you have no idea yeah um and that's why I think for for me it's such an important time that as somebody who's kind of been there, done that, um, but also to give a bit of context, I'm I'm the stepmother to four children. Uh, I've got a two-year-old, and as you know, I'm nearly 36 weeks pregnant, uh, <laughs> which is why I can't get to the end of the sentence without a very deep breath. Um, but I think also my stepchildren are all different ages, um, and they all have very different maturities and and different lives and different things affect them in different ways and I think because of that it's made me see that it's kind of our responsibility to we can't tell them because they've personally I feel they've got a 
learn things their own way um but can provide guidance and I think that's where this kind of honesty and transparency aspect comes in yeah and I guess my question is how do you think we sort of you know if some if a parent's listening and thinking I really want to help my child see that you know social media isn't actually real life how how do we approach that because like you've said I think a lot of the time with teenagers they think that they know everything and that mum and dad know absolutely nothing so like you said having that formal conversation and sitting down and saying you know it's not real and you'll realize this in a few years or whatever but equally, I think it's a bit dangerous to just let them kind of work out for themselves. And like you said, we're here to kind of provide the information. But how do we do that in a way that's not that they're not going to say, shut up, like you don't know anything? No, that's a really good point. And I, I think it's trying to create that balance where it's talking about it and creating a conversation about it rather mm. than an argument firstly Mm. and that's easier said than done I do get that um but also I mean my my partner is he's very good at this I mean I have no idea how to use Snapchat I I couldn't even open the app and send a message and sometimes I look at him and think and watch him doing it and think I have no idea what you're doing (laughs) but his children communicate with him via Snapchat. So he, well, funnily enough, the younger two do. Um, So even in his children, there's a difference in how they communicate with him. So the younger two tend to message him on Snapchat. Now, personally, I've learned a lot from him in terms of uh, what the future might look for 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 my children in terms of social media because actually he is at the forefront of what they're using Mm -hmm. so you can have a conversation about it um you know he he tends to be the first to know the latest dance craze reels and this sort of thing so it's a conversation rather than an argument and I think therefore it becomes they respect that dad has an idea of what he's talking about rather than it just being you have no clue because actually he he does have Instagram or he does have Snapchat and it's only for them really it's Mm. not for anything other than that but it's enough of a connection for them to kind of respect that element of it so if he said well you're trying to achieve a, a body image that some celebrities put on but actually you can see full well that it's edited or it's not possible or whatever it be I think there's an element of respect from his children that comes from that because he's on the same platforms he doesn't seem a million miles away and I think you've you've kind of explained something really important there in terms of that respect um, and kind of having the conversations rather than an argument. I don't know whether you've heard of it, but there's a project called Body Project, which they like go into schools and then they like have conversations around like different body types and social media and then the children explore how they feel about it so rather than the parents or the teacher saying this is wrong and you shouldn't do it it's like how does this make you feel and it kind of broadens their ideas around social media but 
the the thing that kind of came to my mind when you were talking about the fact that your stepchildren have respect is I remember when I got Facebook and it was like the cool age to get Facebook and then my mum got Facebook and then everyone's mum started getting Facebook and I was like I don't want Facebook anymore like it's so uncool now because everyone's parents have got Facebook but I don't know because because it sounds like your stepchildren have got that respect I don't know whether that would be the same or like if you have any ideas of how we'd kind of navigate that so that parents are in the know but the kids aren't like well I don't want to use that anymore because it's uncool so I'm going to use something else that's a really good point because I know what you mean. It was kind of up a similar similar age, and when all of our parents started going on Facebook, it's kind of like, can't you stick to Friends Reunited and <laughs> Facebook kind of thing? But I think I really admire his relationship with his children. That there doesn't seem to be that element of. Or why is dad on there? And I think that's because he's he's quite relevant in their lives. So whether in in terms of culture, so whether it be music, they're, they're all big music fans. Um, you know, I'm stuck in the eighties with my Motown. Like, you're never <laughs> going to change me on that. Um, but he he knows what's in the charts now and all the bands and you know, um, and he's a quite a bit older than me as well and so it's it's quite interesting the dynamics of it really but I think it is to do with the fact that he gets it but he's not too close Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to or doesn't necessarily probe on what are you looking at what what are you doing on it what but he can see it because of stories or whatever it be um and I think that kind of is close, but not too close. So you get yeah. it. Dad, dad gets it and gets how to use it, gets all the filters and the game filters that you can play or whatever. Quite often there might be a picture of a two-year-old with a, a horrible filter on <laughs> the sense of one of the kids or whatever. So they kind of use it for the, the comedy factor. And I think it's it's close, but not too close. Yeah. And I think I think you've knocked the nail on the head because I was never somebody like, you know, I said earlier, I didn't want to be on Facebook because my mum wasn't. That was like an initial like, oh, how uncool. But I never minded having my mum as a friend on Facebook because I knew she wasn't using it to track what I was doing because we have quite an honest and open relationship. But I think my friends that were like, I don't want to be on Facebook because my parents want it. It was because they were the parents were using it to be like, what's my child doing? Um, You know, like, are they misbehaving? or what have you so I guess it's like having that open relationship off social media you know if you've got that honestly they're not going to feel like they need to track you and then you can kind of have your social media to do with what you want and I think there's you know it's interesting because there's a an age limit if you like but it's not a defined age limit like Mm. buying alcohol I think uh, young people mature at very different ages due to different experiences and I think as a parent or a carer or someone like that you kind of have to make that call when do I need to know what you're doing or when do I kind of loosen the reins a little bit and and trust what you do 
and dip in and dip out if you need to or have a conversation around it. What I've I've learned having quite a lot of young people around is they're not very good at lying. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it might be because I've probably said a lot of the lies growing up, but your gut instinct kind of tells you probably need to delve into that a bit more. Yeah. Or actually, I, I feel like they've got their head on their shoulders and you're not you're not always going to get it right. There's no parenting handbook. But um, I think there is that gut feeling comes into it where you've got to give a little to earn that respect and, and build that trust between you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I wanted to talk about editing with you. I didn't mean to have that conversation about all that about social media, but I think it was really wonderful. So in terms of editing... What impact do you think that has, I guess, not only on the person looking at the image when they scroll through Instagram, but also on the person that's putting that picture up? It's interesting because obviously the thing everybody thinks of is what is that doing to the mindset or the voices in someone's head that's seeing that content? But if I'm honest, I would argue that I think it's affecting the people that are putting that content out there more. Because the reality is, if I put a filter on pictures, which I've almost become a bit nervous to do now, and I have done it, I've, I've got nothing against social media. That needs to be one of the first things that I state. It is the lack of honesty, I think, that's that's my issue. But I think if you're putting a filter on, you know, I'm 33 with uh, a child and... A pregnancy, a long, long pregnancy. I've got wrinkles and I haven't got perfect skin and all of these things. If I put a filter on, all of that disappears. So, of course, I feel better about the image. Why would you not? So I think I, I would argue that it's, it's harder and the effect, the negative effect, on someone's mindset or body image and self-esteem will be the person posting that because actually you are getting those likes or comments or you look amazing yeah but it's not real so Mm. of course you do almost you know and personally from my own experiences I don't sit there and think oh well 40 people have liked that photo and said I look amazing oh but I know it's edited you go oh I look amazing that makes me feel better but then next time you take a photo you haven't got the filter on it and then what does that do to your own head so I think it's it's as damaging for people to kind of assume what they're seeing is real Mm. but I think it's it's damaging for the people that are putting it on that because I think if you're feeling like you need to share something with the world, and I'm the first to do it, so I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but when you're having to change that image to share it, that's saying, well, I'm not happy with the image that I see. Yeah, I think you're completely right. And I I also would argue that the impact of editing, I would be more concerned for the person putting that picture up because, like you say, it's that negative reinforcement of oh you know like you look really good in that picture that you've edited to make yourself look different I think you then start to think that you can only then get 
those kind of positive comments if you look like that. I would always say to my boyfriend, I don't think that I look different on social media and in real life. Like I think I'm very much like the same person. But sometimes you you can see people that look completely different. And I just think, you know, I feel so bad that they feel like they have to have this false pretense online compared to what they actually look like in real life. And I don't think it's really something that we, I guess, question. I don't think we kind of say to people, oh, I noticed that you put quite a heavily edited picture online. Is everything okay? I've never heard somebody use that sentence. It's almost become a, a taboo. And what you've said there really resonates with me. I remember seeing somebody that I I don't know that well and I've only really seen them online and then I met them in person and I didn't actually know who it was and that's when I thought wow now I'm I'm not slating that person's choice to do that but that really made me think about am I putting online what I look like I don't want somebody to walk past me in the street and well I say hello and think oh wow you look different yeah. <laughs> it just it just it just didn't sit well with me but I remember being on the tube pre-pandemic so it feels like a long time ago now <laughs> and there was a girl of about 13 14 sitting next to me using her phone as a mirror which we've all done, with the filter on. And it broke my heart. And I remember just thinking, if you can't bear to look at your own image without a filter that nobody else is going to see, you're putting your lipstick on or whatever it be, what does that mean for for you? What are the voices in your head telling you? And at such a young age and an impressionable age as well, that made me sad. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know for everybody, but when I've spoken to friends, I feel like a lot of my friends are very aware that photos are edited and people use filters. It's funny, actually, because I saw a friend a couple of weeks ago and I think she was just showing me a picture of something and and she was like, oh, it's edited. And I was like, who edits their pictures? Like, why would you edit a picture? And she was like, Hannah, everyone edits their pictures. And I felt so stupid and I felt so naive, but I've never, like, I I didn't think that people edited their photo. And then when she said that, I then started to question every single thing. And another thing that really shocked me was I was watching a movie the other day and like the the girl in the movie, her figure was quite quote unquote normal. I was like browsing the cast online and I found her and she looked so much smaller in all of the pictures. And at the time I thought, oh, that's such a shame. You know, she like she's obviously felt like she had to lose a lot of weight because of being in the public eye. And then actually I thought, okay, yeah, that could be an option, but more probably all these pictures are probably just edited. Yeah, and it's it, there was a, a video that went around a few months back now of a, a woman, and I must admit it was the very beginning of the campaign, so it must have been about three months ago, and it was a video of a woman in a bikini that mm-hmm. had a, a lovely figure, and then it changed to a very normal figure, and like you say my head deems a lovely figure isn't necessarily a normal figure because of society then she had done this video to highlight 
editing videos. And it was the first time that I even knew it was possible. That's terrifying. I thought, how can that be? And technology is moving at such a speed. I saw a, a Snapchat filter where it can you can not be smiling and it puts a, a smile on your face. And things like that, okay, it looks a bit creepy now, but it doesn't take long for it to be kind of amended so it's more yeah. realistic and all the rest of it. And it's become this world of trying to get this perceived perfection. And since starting the campaign, I've had so many people get in touch, either thanking me for raising awareness on the subject, but even many young people that have been in touch and said, I feel under massive pressure to look a certain way or be a certain way. And that's because everybody looks a certain way or whatever it be. So many teachers have said to me that I have conversations with my students weekly about this because they're under this crippling loneliness when they feel like their face doesn't fit. Um, So many different types of people have been in touch. I've heard from so many adults that have signed the campaign because they suffered many of these mental health challenges in their younger years and just can't fathom how they would have survived in the world that young people are growing up in Mm. now. Um, And that's when you kind of look at, you've got young people saying now, actually, this is something that's really important to me. And you've got people that have gone through eating disorders or anxiety, depression, whatever it be in their younger years, without social media, without this pressure, um, and just can't understand how anybody, or if they were doing it now, how they would have come out the other end. It's actually just thought as well about something else about the editing the photos from when you said that and then sort of like comparing how you know if I was growing up now I mean and I've spoken about this on the podcast before but I used to have body dysmorphia and I imagine that now editing photos I I mean you know there's so many different causes for things like that but I imagine that has that's got to be something that you know you're looking at the picture and changing yourself completely then looking in the mirror everything's got to look different surely yeah yeah and I think it's important to state that I don't necessarily think social media creates these problems they've been around since the dawn of time yeah and there's they're a complex, complex issue and they can have many causes. But what I think it does is, like you say, massively exacerbates the problem. Yeah. Um, and it, it can then make recovery or add to going down that route a lot worse. Um, yeah. And that, I think, is where we do have to step up and take some responsibility for it. I mean, okay. Post-pandemic, we know that all the charities, all the mental health facilities are at breaking point. But actually, they weren't in a great place pre-pandemic. So I think it's easy to kind of use the pandemic as a bit of a a hide-behind story. But actually, this has been something that's been growing in, in trend. And personally, I mean, I've 
had a family member that for four years has suffered an eating disorder. And like I say, we don't know the, the cause of that. They might never know the cause of that. That's not the point. But having spent time in eating disorder, young people, inpatient units, um, I just remember being absolutely horrified by how full to bursting these places were with girls and boys alike. Mm. Um, and I think you're ignorantly unaware until you're exposed to the the issue. But I couldn't believe, and this, you know, we were lucky enough to get the support that was required as a family. But I think just seeing that not everybody was drastically underweight, not everybody was female, not everybody was white, all of these preconceptions that I didn't even know I had um, up until you're exposed to it, you just think it's only the people that are challenging these issues as a family or as a person who's mm. dealing with it you don't have a clue. And I think that's what, as a society, we need to be raising awareness about. I completely agree. I think, like you say, until you're in this situation, unfortunately, you're maybe not aware of how severe it is. And I really liked the fact that you picked up on about COVID because... I was reading some papers the other day that were saying that, um, you know, the right the rate of eating disorders has massively increased over COVID and we really need to do something about it. And it's great that we're having those conversations, but eating disorders didn't just come out of a pandemic. Like eating disorders have been here for a very long time. And it's almost, I don't know, I almost found it offensive to people that have been struggling beforehand because it's like, okay, well, the numbers are really high now. So now we'll take you seriously. But before there was only a few of you. So like it, it didn't really matter when in actual fact, you know, that wasn't the case at all. And it's difficult because it's whether it be COVID, whether it be social media, people kind of use these blanket excuses almost for mm. it. And actually it's it's more complex than that and since starting the campaign I've found out a lot more about some of the charities and uh, there's seed charity that Gemma Rosen works at. One thing that is amazing with them that is so important is they focus on the person not the eating disorder and it's such a simple thing but the reality is so many people just see the, the eating disorder and it's so individual for each person, uh, whether that be why it started, how you recover, how, you know, how it is when you're in the, the yeah. midst of it, um, that I think that's the real key issue. And, you know, this campaign isn't going to solve the problem but it's going to be a step in the right direction. And for me, I just think one step in the right direction is better than no step. There's a lot of steps that need to happen, and it certainly doesn't solve many of the issues that are there. But for me, I think I, I am just a one-man band, if you like. There is no uh, uh, business or charity or anybody behind me. It's kind of lived experience of, of seeing it close to hand and also just seeing so many examples of 
young people having challenges with their mental health that I think I, I don't feel it's being taken seriously enough and whether that's age related and I feel like the people that are taking it seriously are the charity and they've only got a certain amount of resource and they are completely stretched yeah beyond belief and I think it's sometimes it's really easy to talk a good job but actually it needs to be action I know there's many different examples of that whereas whether it's been the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, okay, everybody can put Black Square on Instagram, but what are you doing about it to change something? And and that's what I really wanted to have a difference with, with the campaign. Awareness is great, and there's a heap of people creating awareness of positive body image and self-love and all of these things, and I'm not knocking them at all. But there has to be a call to action as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that it's funny that you say that because that's actually one of the questions I ask at the end. And I'm going to ask it now because it's relevant now. But, you know, like you said, awareness is fantastic. And I love being able to come on to the podcast and talk to people and everybody share their experience. But often like anything when we're having these conversations the people that are going to be listening are the people that are already on board with talking about eating disorders the people that already want that change to happen but like you said we actually have to action things we actually have to do something and I think you know I mean one of the things I think that you've spoken about is maybe putting age restrictions on social media and I kind of wanted to ask you about that but then does it do the same thing that alcohol I kind of see it that like people want to rebel and then they're desperate to drink when they get to 18 so you know maybe they drink too much for that period of time because oh I've not been allowed to do it do you think it would sort of have that impact of having an age restriction but also you know do you have any other ideas about how we can get creative about this horrible thing that really does need to change an age restriction is not necessarily the right thing from my opinion um because i do think from a, from an official perspective again kind of similar to you've got to be 18 to buy alcohol um I think it has to be the parent's responsibility, uh, whether it be a parent or or whoever it be. Because I do think young people are all different. They all mature at very different speeds. They've all had different life experiences. And even with with my family, seeing how different um, they are at different ages, you know, the, the older two have a a similar relationship to social media as I do uh my middle stepdaughter has probably used it her age group used it the most in their kind of mid-teenage years my youngest stepson not interested at all and he's now 13 so it's really interesting to see Mm. how it's changed organically almost um so I do think it's then I've got nieces who are 10 who are you know moving into secondary school in in the next year or so and chomping at the bit a little bit so it's not necessarily blanket age group either so different across the board do you think it could be a gender thing could be yeah could be I, I do think 
I think it's more complex than that. I mean, yeah. my stepson goes to a, a boys' school. Other boys don't really care about Instagram. <laughs> I dare say a girls' school might be slightly different. I didn't go to one, but maybe if he was at a mixed school, it might be slightly different because then yeah. there's a bunch of friends or potential girlfriends or whatever it be. So I think it's more complex, again, just than female or male. I don't know is the answer, and that's why I think it is difficult to have a blanket age restriction or something like that mm-hmm. I do personally believe that carers should have an idea of what's being viewed um, and again going back to that kind of trust element and I think you can only know as a parent or a carer to a degree what you're comfortable giving that inch mm. without it becoming a mile and that can again be different for everyone and not everyone's going to get it right because it is a case of trial and error sometimes as well but I think also what I have seen in recent times is social media can be a bit of a lifeline for certain people in vulnerable circumstances so whether that be eating disorders or abuse or you know their own challenges and I've started using Twitter since I set up the campaign uh, again I'm a bit of a technophobe so Twitter was never really on my on my radar and what I have seen is there's a lot of people that use that for the I don't nobody needs to know who I am but actually the people that I speak to are really helpful so if you then take that away and the age restriction becomes 16, for example, and you're 15 and a half, but actually you might be someone that's matured quicker than that, mm. they haven't got that option. So I think it's it's difficult to have the, the blanket age range and I don't think it would be something that I would necessarily advocate for. I personally think you're right. I think, like you said, people mature at different ages. I think the part where it gets difficult, it's a bit like when I was younger, like kind of like the age that you get on mobile phone. Like, you know, some some people got them young, some people, they weren't allowed them until they're a bit older. And so I guess that's when it gets difficult because different parents are doing different things. And the, the other thing I kind of thought, because I agree with you, I think Twitter in terms of eating disorder recovery, fantastic community, um, you know, like I've met a lot of people through doing the podcast on Twitter and I think it's it, it's a really pro recovery space. But I remember when I was kind of like in the depth of my eating disorder and I hadn't told anybody that I was, I don't think I really realised I was struggling at the time, but I had a Tumblr account and it was very much like a, a pro eating disorder Tumblr account. And I remember my dad found it and he was like, something's really wrong here because he thought that I'd made the kind of pictures, but actually you just like repost them. So I think it kind of swings both ways, doesn't it? And if you get into the right circle on social media, fantastic. It can be so pro recovery, but equally it can be such a dangerous space because it just became normal for me. Like I was like, oh, everybody's feeling like this. So like this just must be a normal thing to go through. And then actually now I look back and I think those pictures that I was sharing were so triggering. And the fact that I was then sharing them was just building up on that. Oh, everybody feels this way. 
But then, like we were saying earlier, it's it's almost that element of trust that parents or carers are giving their children. So my parents didn't want to mollycoddle me and be like, what, what are you using on social media? And I guess the reason why my dad looked was because he thought, okay, she is acting a bit different. So maybe something's going on. Um, but I think, I think it's so difficult. And, you know, you said I wouldn't want to be a, a child growing up in this era, but equally, I think just as hard to be a parent because we're sort of approaching new territory and how the hell do we do this yeah um absolutely and I think it goes back to what I said earlier that similar to my partner you you've got to have a toe in the water almost to know what they're looking at I have no idea how to open snapchat let alone uh, do anything with it whereas I'm assuming because I have no clue (laughs) he would be a bit more aware of what's available on there you know when the technology came in to know where individuals are from snapchat he knew about that i wouldn't have had a clue so it's again when things are changing what does that mean having that conversation around it or just asking i think sometimes and just asking from a i'm not asking about you i'm asking in general it's almost I don't know why this popped I think it's because you're pregnant but I was thinking about like you know how you have prenatal classes on like you know this is how to I mean I don't know what a prenatal class is I've I've never been to one but I assume it's like how to take care of a baby it's almost like we need preteen classes of you know this is kind of what is going to happen when your child becomes a teenager and social media and all of that and like just like technology lessons I feel like that would be fantastic because I know that you know my dad he knows how to get onto the internet but apart from that he knows nothing about social media and my mum's only learned it from kind of because she's a business that she needs to be on social media but I feel like that would be a really good idea I don't know if they do that well, I don't think formally as such, but there's so many people that have blogs or websites mm. or those kind of things, Facebook groups that are set up primarily for that reason. And I've met quite a few of those recently. And again, it is it is brilliant to kind of even things like recently Instagram Reels came around and all of a sudden there's a whole heap of people that will happily tell you what real is I have no idea no (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea how to do a reel or what I just watch Um, them and I'm like wow (laughs) yeah precisely I'm exactly the same so it's it's kind of giving it a go to because technology is moving so fast and there is always some and that's the good thing with today's society there is always somebody you can put it in google and you'll always find somebody who knows the answer because whether there's a business reason for it or you know just trying to create awareness or reach more people or whatever it be but it is interesting to see the the rate of knots that technology is moving at and how that can benefit but also just being aware of the pitfalls as well yeah absolutely and I think that's such a good point in that there are so many benefits to it you know we've we've literally proven that through COVID everybody went from you know going into an office every day now 
I work from home so many people work from home and we've I think we've really adapted over the last year but I guess with that rapid progression we do have to be aware of kind of the things that might happen that aren't in our life already you know now we've got loads of people working from home great but then loads of people are isolated and loads of people are lonely and it's sort of adapting those fantastic things that have come into it but I feel like everything could potentially have a negative um so I guess it's just kind of working out what they are and managing them it's almost that unintended consequence Mm. Um, and that there always is one and like you say I've been working from home in my stepson's bedroom for uh, 18 months and it's amazing how quickly the world adapted yeah which is brilliant because the world didn't stop but like you say what has that done to everybody's heads people feeling lonely people feeling isolated Mm. People just missing that, grabbing a coffee and, oh, hi, I haven't seen you for ages. That that normal chit-chat, um, there ha- almost has to be a reason to pick up the phone to somebody who you might work with now, yeah. whereas before it might have been, oh, hi, good morning, how was your weekend, how the family or whatever mm. it be. You just don't do that in the same way. Yeah, I I actually had this conversation with someone at work the other day um, saying, you know, everything feels so formal when it's online. Like even if you're literally just message somebody a quick thing that you just normally like speak over in the office, it feels so formal. Um, And so we're thinking about opening like a little... um, team on Microsoft Teams that's always open it's like coffee room chat so if somebody needs to just like vent or share something they just go there and it's two minutes and that's what you'd normally have in the office but I think you know we can become really like oh I have to be working every second um and I think I think it ties really well into social media in that way as well I mean especially I noticed during COVID kind of obviously we couldn't go out but if people were having a Zoom call or whatever and then they put it on social media, I almost felt like even though we were in the middle of a pandemic and the world was sort of falling apart around us, I still felt like every evening I needed to be talking to somebody. And I think it is that comparison online. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I don't like about social media is it just drives that comparison. You almost forget who you are and what you want to be because you're just constantly thinking like, oh, well, that person's having a great time. You only kind of see their highlight. I think that people call it like a highlight reel Instagram is. You just see the good things about their life and you don't necessarily see them hanging out on the sofa in their pajamas. I mean, and that's that's the problem. And I think there was, and it kind of, like you say, it really highlighted it in the pandemic because nobody was doing anything. Nobody was going anywhere. There was was nothing going on, but you you almost saw this trend of, oh, look at all of us with our glass of gin on our Zoom call. Um, And then, you know, it, it makes you think, should I be doing that and you might have done that but if you weren't doing it at that point in time and you were thinking I'm bored of this I want to see my family or see my friends or having a bad day or whatever again it was that kind of fear of missing out that it just reinforces that almost negative mindset that 
everybody's having a better time than my, I am. And a really interesting actually in, in regards to that that came out um, I saw recently is that uh, the Florida House Experience did uh, research that showed 87% of women and 65% of men compared themselves with pictures in the media. So again it goes back to that kind of well if I don't look like that or if I'm not doing that or if I'm I'm failing or I'm I'm not doing what everybody else is. Why why has nobody phoned me or mm. you know, let's have a have a Zoom call, Suze, or whatever it be. And not everybody was doing that, but when they were doing it on the odd chance, everybody wanted to post it to look like yeah. they were doing it. And it was no different to pre-pandemic, but it was again almost that pressure of, well. I'm making banana bread, so I need to tell the world I'm making yeah. banana bread. And and then all of the parents that were trying to homeschool and just keep their marbles weren't making banana bread yeah. and were then worrying that, well, am I failing at this? Actually, if you just get through a global pandemic and come yeah. out the other side of it, you're winning. But it was almost that kind of pressure again. And it's, it's scary how, what it does to your head. And again, it, it kind of came back to the campaign. If what you're seeing is unrealistic and unachievable, then that's creating a problem that's yeah. terrifying. How do you think we stop those comparisons? I know that's a massive question, but do you have any idea? I think it. So personally, I have over the probably the past two years, I've seen the change in myself at times when I've spent a lot of time looking back, comparing myself um, and it needed to stop because it was making me unhappy. And for me, that was having breaks from social media to be honest and that's really hard to do I'm not saying that lightly Mm. unfollowing people that the content didn't make me happy or made me feel that way being more aware of what you're seeing and how it's making you feel even if they are and not necessarily unfollowing but even if it's friends or or people that you think well I can't do that because it might cause a further problem just mute it you know Mm. you don't have to see it and what I then realized in doing that by not seeing that content I became a more present person in real life and it was it was such an unbelievable change that if somebody said it to me a few months before I'd probably kind of rub my eyes and thought oh here we go someone else saying you know you're spending too much it wasn't necessarily about the time on social media either it was the content that I'm looking at Mm. so I think that's it's almost a bit like a self-regulation if you feel unhappy then just seriously take a look at what you're seeing and and maybe mute some and trial and error and it might be different times as well at certain times you might think I don't need to see your perfect life every five minutes of the day because I don't and it's more to do with 
how you feel and your life at a point in time, not what that person's putting on social media. They can't be responsible for how you react to it. They don't know how you feel, where you are, where your headspace is, that kind of thing. You have to take the reins with that. And that's hard to do. But having done it, I feel so much better for it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think um, kind of on like a eating disorder specific aspect of it, I remember like when I was in recovery and I used to get really annoyed at people on social media for posting things that triggered me. And then I like now when I reflect back, I always think that was so wrong of me to get frustrated at people because like you said, I was in kind of the um, driving seat of all of that. And what triggered me doesn't necessarily trigger everybody else. So you can't ask somebody to be so specific about things. But you're so right in that if somebody does kind of what they post maybe doesn't have a positive influence on you, unfollow them, mute them, whatever. Like it doesn't. And also, I think for me, sometimes it's people that are genuinely my friends that actually what they post on social media doesn't give me a great feeling. But that doesn't mean I can't see them in real life. Like for me, normally they're a completely different person in real life. And I think it's just about having that reflection time for yourself of, okay, this picture actually doesn't make me feel great. Why is that? Where's that coming from? And I think you can actually learn so much from just taking a bit of time to actually reflect on things rather than just like, and I guess this is a question I have for you that's just like popped into my head. Like, why do you think that, I mean, not everyone might do this, but I have noticed it in myself and I've had other conversations. Sometimes when something makes us feel uncomfortable, like a picture on social media, we almost go for more. Like sometimes I'll notice that something makes me feel uncomfortable and I'll click on the person's profile and I'll be scrolling for ages. And I'm like, why am I doing this? It's just making me feel awful. Yeah, no, that's so true. And it was something that I realised before I did kind of unfollow content or mute Mm. content because I did realize that I almost see it by accident and then go down that rabbit hole and I think maybe it's it's human nature a little bit it's kind of the I can't think of the word that I'm after but it's almost like the vicious circle of you know it's bad for you so you do it but you know it's bad for you, so you do it. I don't know, it is strange. And I think that's why it takes so much restraint to consciously think, and there's so many times, and I'm I'm guilty of it as well, where you're sitting there kind of mindlessly scrolling through Instagram or whatever. Do it at that time and think, if you stop and think, oh, that picture's annoyed me or that video's annoyed me, unfollow it there and then. I'm not saying to kind of take an hour out of your Sunday and think, <laughs> right, now's my time to audit my Instagram because it, life doesn't work like that. You know, I think it's just having that kind of self-control is the wrong word, but having that restraint almost where mm. I need to put myself first. And if this isn't creating a pos- positive reason for me or making me happy, get rid of it and it doesn't have to be final as well that's what I kind of realized it doesn't have to be why I'm taking you off Instagram or Facebook or whatever it be just I don't want to see it at the minute 
Yeah. And you can always change your mind on it. And I would challenge anybody, only because I know when I, I did this, I thought, well, I can always go back and I never have. Yeah. So anybody that I've muted, I've never unmuted. Mm. Because it's amazing how quickly you realise, I'm so pleased I've done that. I'm so pleased I can't see it. Because what a lot of what I found is what I might see wasn't what was making me unhappy necessarily, but it was the start of that rabbit hole for my mind to go down that route with whatever it be. Um, so it kind of gives your mind that thumbs up to think about that thing or mm. go down that that route. And actually, if you it is, I found, very much out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I really like what you said about you never went back. And I think that just shows that, you know, that individual could be having a negative impact with regards to what they post, but you actually don't need it and you don't miss it. Um, so I think, yeah, if anybody's listening, maybe have a bit of a cleanse after this podcast and see how you feel. And like Suzanne said, if you want to go back to it, then and that's kind of my I always that's my kind of like approach with eating disorder recovery is if you engage in recovery you do it and you commit really hard and you get to the end and you don't like it just go back like you know the behaviors you know what to do to go back just go back but I think we can all 100 I I would like to put a lot of money that people won't go back um so it's kind of just like taking that chance isn't it yeah absolutely yeah well it has been so lovely to talk to you Suzanne the last question that I want to ask you um is if somebody's listening and they're you know whether they're a parent carer or the individual struggling with an eating disorder what would be your top tip or your best advice for them to get support I think talking is a, a big, big part of that. And that doesn't have to be a parent. It doesn't have to be your counsellor. It doesn't have to be, your, you know, someone in, in your your official support. Um, but talk to somebody because yeah. I think eating disorder or any other challenges in life, personally, I've found that talking about it always just makes you feel better it might not give you the answers Mm. it might not solve the problem and if you can as long as you feel comfortable talking to that person and you trust talking to that person I think that's the really key thing I would say absolutely well thank you so so much I have really enjoyed Just before you go, where can people find you to find more about the campaign and help you out with it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love as many signatures as possible. So anybody that wants to sign, uh, 30 seconds, no money involved, nothing like that. It's purely putting your name to it. Um, You can find it at my Twitter, which is Suzanne Samarka. Uh, and I'm sure Hannah will put the details on the podcast because my name, my surnames are <laughs> fun and games in terms of spelling. Um, and also there's an Instagram set up for the 
campaign, which is at Protect Youth Mental Health. And the link to the campaign is in both bios uh, and it's hashtag honesty about editing. So if you put that in any social media platform, it should come up as well. Amazing. Yes, I shall put everything in the bottom so people can find out. And please do put your signature um, because I think that this is a great campaign that Suzanne is doing. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. And good luck with the pregnancy. Yep, there's not long to go. (laughs) (laughs) Luck is very much needed. Two children, two young children work, I don't quite know. Teenagers I can handle, but uh, (laughs) a very new world. I really enjoyed that conversation with Suzanne and I think it was really eye-opening not only to understand the impact that edited pictures can have but also for parents to hear how they can support their children in using social media as I often think that this can be a bit of a battleground. Next week I'll be joined by Katie McKenzie. Katie is a fourth year medical student on an integrated year in psychiatry. Katie has her own experience of having an eating disorder and together we talk about how this affected her medical degree and she provides some amazing tips on heading to uni or possibly taking a year out if your eating disorder recovery is still present. There's so much pressure when you're in school or college. They just It's like university is the only option. But I kind of feel like everyone should offer to take a year out before they go so they kind of have that chance to just explore stuff a bit more. Because yeah. I think what I realised as well is when I took the time out is that before that it had just been constant school education just grades studying for like the whole of your life and then you stop and it's just you can finally breathe a bit and kind of when you do get to uni so many people there's so many different ages as well there's so much pressure when you're in school or college they just it's like university is the only option but I kind of feel like everyone should offer to take a year out before they go so they kind of have that chance to just explore stuff a bit more because yeah. I think what I realised as well is when I took the time out is that before that it had just been constant school education just grades yeah. studying for like the whole of your life and then you stop and it's just you can finally breathe a bit and kind of when you do get to uni so many people there's so many different ages as well If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment, not only those struggling with eating disorders but also their loved ones, as this can be a very difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!